Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Thanks so much for tuning in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Sophia Mormont about legalise cannabis. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. So could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Sure. So I, uh, from an education perspective, I started off as an RN. I did my RN training in a large university hospital in Amsterdam. I was already, I had already lived in Australia by that stage. So when I was finished with my RN training in Amsterdam, I came back to Australia because my parents were here. Uh, I then studied naturopathy and followed that up with a, a diploma in traditional Chinese medicine as well. So I've always been interested in natural therapies and my motivation has always been to help people uh, live happier, healthier lives and be empowered in regards to the choices they make about their health. So uh, examples of cannabis use that I saw in Amsterdam where it was legal when I was there already. As an RN, you know, you see chemo patients and certainly some of those younger patients who fitted into a particular demographic who might have been open to trying some alternative therapies would sometimes come back to the ward and would be happy without nausea and would be hungry and their pain would be uh, reduced and their eyes might have been slightly redder than when they left the ward as well. So, and but we had nothing in the way of medication to offer chemotherapy patients that was as effective as cannabis in reducing the nausea specifically. So, you know, I think that is a really uh, ethical and humane, humane therapy to offer to people who are going through uh, chemotherapy. And now, you know, about 30 years on from that, my mum uh, is quite elderly and she uh, developed Parkinsonia and a range of symptoms with that, including physical rigidity uh, and insomnia and chronic pain. And, you know, we looked at cannabis as a solution for her. But she ended up being on a lot of medications at, at first with a variety of side effects uh, so then you start looking, you know, what can we offer mum to make her have a better quality of life at this age? Uh, and cannabis came up and it was only just at the beginning of the uh, cannabis starting to be available in Western Australia here. She needed to see a, a neurologist. She needed a referral for that. It was quite expensive. Luckily, she had good health insurance. And now she's been on it for about two years 
it is easier now to get it in WA, but it's still, it still involves talking to a doctor, getting scripts, picking it up from a very specific pharmacy. And it costs about $250 a month for her to, to stay on that. It does work every so often we check, stop it for, reduce the dosage or stop it for a day or so. And it does really make a difference for her. You know, therapies like that should be available for, for everyone. It should be accessible regardless of your socioeconomic status. And it's, cannabis is being shown to be useful for pain, uh, insomnia. There's research around ADHD. There's, you know, I've, I've spoken to people recently who said, you know, younger people are using cannabis and not the oil necessarily, but smoking it to help manage their symptoms around that ADHD because they find it more beneficial than the standard therapies like dexamphetamine. PTSD is being shown to be, or cannabis is useful for that as well. Then you're looking at, you know, cancer, supporting cancer treatment. So the therapeutic application of cannabis is huge. And now it is becoming legal and more easily accessible in different countries. And doctors are very much pushing for that as well because they're seeing the benefits. And because of that acceptance by the medical industry, uh, by the medical system, it means that a lot more research dollars are becoming available for cannabis too. And so we'll, we, that research is exploding right now. Uh, Mexico, for instance, is going to has just legalized the growth of cannabis as well, and the government is very much behind it as, there. Uh, different reasons, but also because the cartels they are very violent, and so many people are dying and being murdered because of the the cartels. So the government is trying to reduce crime, take away that power from the cartels, and find legal ways to. Uh, support economy and the people uh, affected by, you know, that they may have had an income with drugs, illicit drugs, and trying to support that population with a, a, a viable legal income. And because of that too, there's a big push for uh, clinical research to be done. So there's a whole bunch of benefits there for the Mexican people, I feel, it make their life safer, mainly initially and then having access to cannabis for medical benefits and purposes. Yeah, no, that, that sounds yeah, really sensible. So could you tell us about the history of cannabis? I only know a very small amount about that overall. The, the history is quite long. So there's, there are written records of it being used about 4,000 years ago already. So, and certainly the Chinese were using it medicinally. Uh, as a Chinese medicine practitioner, one of the products that I initially had uh, access to were ground up cannabis seeds. The Chinese name is Ha Mao Ren, which doesn't really matter much, but it is a great laxative for older people, basically. And it was, the, you, you don't get high, uh, high out of uh, cannabis seeds at all. I think the only high that people were getting was the relief of going to the toilet, and, and and that was made that was pulled off the Australian market. It was made illegal. So, but recreationally, it's been used for a long time uh, across different cultures as well, uh, and medicinally, obviously as well. And you're looking at pain, PTSD, 
once again, uh, nausea it was used for. So the, the benefits have been around for a long time. Why it was made illegal, I mean, there are different theories about that. Uh, I'm not that knowledgeable, but certainly uh, it seems that certain religious really dislike the use of cannabis and see it as a, a portal to, to Satan is what I've, I've seen. So, and I, I have been accused of um, doing voodoo myself and promoting the devil's work so far. So there's certainly some stigma against uh, cannabis in society against that. Uh, having said that, that has only been a very small percentage of people who've had that bias. And most people, when I've started that conversation about cannabis with them, have been very open in sharing their experiences. But when you look at, you know, herbal medicine and your, your strong herbs and a history that's at least 4,000 years old, I think that, that it makes sense that it now becomes part of the normal herbal pharmacopoeia again. Just what has changed in the years since Canada's possession was legalised in, in the ACT? Yeah. So uh, that was a brave move by the ACT, but also a great move for the people there. What I've noticed so with the research that I've seen is that when it's legalised or, or decriminalised in a particular area, there's an initial spike in use. But that settles down after a while, when you look, specifically when you look at your recreational users and, you know, those people who are long-term recreational users already had pathways of acquisition, I guess, set up before that stage. But generally this thought that initially after you get that spike and then it drops down to the regular users again after that and settles at about 25%. That's what the statistics say. It is possible um, that that might be higher. And it does seem that way when I've been talking to people that a lot of people are quite willing to admit their recreational or therapeutic use of cannabis products. One of the big things that you achieve, I feel, with legalization and decriminalization is taking pressure of the courts and allowing police resources to be freed up for crimes that have an actual great impact on people. You know, when people are smoking cannabis for recreational reasons, mostly they are kind of happy, not violent, and probably beneficial to the junk food and industry overall, you know, and, and Uber Eats, I'd say. Uh, but when you are, when this is criminalised and people are, forced into criminal behaviours, you know, it can clog up the court. And, you know, the police is obliged then to obviously uh, search people that they suspect of having cannabis uh, on them or having used cannabis. And really most of those people are relatively harmless. What you do see as well is that Indigenous Australians are targeted more specifically than Caucasian Australians and when you know when you look at why people use why people choose to use uh, substances including alcohol a lot of the time it is to self-soothe in a way 
and to deal with trauma. And I think it's really fair to state that Indigenous Australians, Australians have a lot of trauma still to deal with. So I get why they would be self-medicating and it would be much more useful for them not to be put through the court system and put that money that is hopefully being, you know, saved by doing that to actual programs that deal with trauma, uh, to mental health uh, programs in general as well. So I was going to ask you about the, the health benefits of this, but um, since you sort of mentioned like other, other medications as well, what are the benefits of cannabis over, say, for example, going to the doctor and asking for antidepressants, which are probably full of chemicals, aren't they? Okay, so side effects with cannabis are really unusual. Okay, there are cases of people having allergic responses, but you can get that to, to any, anything. I mean, any food, chemicals, whatever. So, you, you know, whilst obviously unfortunate, that is a, a risk to just being alive, I'd say. Side effects overall are very, very little. It is generally not considered addictive. There have also been cases of where people do get violent with cannabis, but once again, that is um, a minority. And there have been cases of people having been diagnosed with psychosis due to marijuana use as well. Once again, that is very, very limited. So overall, cannabis is very safe and has very few side effects. When you look at your most commonly prescribed antidepressants, they are your, your SSRI, so your serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and what they do is they create a higher level of serotonin in the in the brain they come they do come with side effects most people will find that they might feel a bit flat with that uh, there may be an increase in appetite for people as well and these drugs you need to be on them long term all right so there's no point taking an antidepressant for a week they take four to six weeks to kick in, and then you need to be on them for at least six months and then see how you go for, you know, your circumstances maybe may have improved at that stage. You might want to come off them and you need to taper off them. And sometimes that tapering off can be very uncomfortable for people so that they actually get like a rebound sort of effect with their depression. And then yeah, they get stay, they're scared, they stay on it again. Uh, for they go back on it again for longer. You don't get that with cannabis at all. There is no rebound. There is no, you can just stop at any time. So it is very safe for that. Uh, you know, for some people too, on the SSRIs, they can get other side effects. They can be too drowsy. They may also expect um, experience inorgasmia. And they would... Uh, they may also find that their emotions are very flat as well. And then there have also been case studies. There's also been case studies of people actually getting worse on antidepressants as well and having psychotic breaks with that too. Now, ideally, to help prevent that, we need better diagnostic strategies, and that is already being looked at with people getting genetic genetic testing done to see what medication is going to work the best for them 
and that I feel that that could be introduced for cannabis use as well to make sure that you are targeting the right people, you know, and, and if the knowledge and technology is there to prevent side effects for anything, I think, yeah, that's always going to be useful because in the end you want people to be healthy, happy and not suffer any further from any medical in interventions that we might be able to offer. Do you, I mean, do you think that there's a stigma attached to people who use cannabis because it is illegal? Ah, I think there definitely is a, uh, a stigma around that. You know, people will judge on that more so because it is illegal, not so because they are uh, well-informed about cannabis. I think there's a lot of ignorance around cannabis still. You know, people classify it, it's illegal, so they don't necessarily look any further into it unless they end up with um, health issues themselves. You know, when people suffer, they are motivated to look into other options to open up their thinking sometimes a bit as well and try alternative therapies that they haven't thought about before or have dismissed before as well. So I think ignorance is a large part of why that stigma is there. And that is something that, you know, we can certainly work on reducing the ignorance through educational programs, uh, through starting up those conversations with people. Uh, and, you know, if CBD oil, a CBD oil should become available in, a, in WA, as far as I know, over the counter in pharmacies. And I have heard speculation that that might still be this year. I, I, don't, I haven't had that confirmed. Uh, that was just uh, talking to a medical uh, to GP about that. So we'll see what happens there. But I think once it does become available like that, that will reduce the stigma even greater because people are going to try it, you know, and especially that older generation who may have been a bit more rigid in their thinking in regards to it's illegal. They're the ones that are going to have arthritis. They're the ones that are going to have lower back pain. Insomnia is quite common as well as you age uh, and uh, we, we live in a in a very harsh society and I think that PTSD is particularly underdiagnosed and under acknowledged as well and I think a lot of um, people by the time they're in their 40s or 50s have had they've, they've experienced trauma and they may find they have triggers that uh, affect their daily life they may find that their behavior has changed to uh, avoid specific triggers as well and might make their life more complicated before that. So, you know, once that knowledge about the benefits of cannabis oil become more accessible, become more mainstream, you know, that it takes, I think it takes about 10 years for medical research to filter into mainstream consciousness, you know, and with the available of, of cannabis oil over the counter, I think that will really increase. People are going to be interested and we're going to see more, you know, articles in the local paper about that and possibly more uh, uh, segments on TV about that as well. When, a, you know, if there's a big new, uh, new research paper comes out with, a, you know, some really interesting data, that, that I hope that that will, you know, get media coverage and will be presented in a way that people go, okay, that looks interesting, that may be worth trying, and they'll feel happier and healthier because of it. Yeah, so um, you're very passionate about this and you've even been involved in a political party. 
there seems to be a lot of people that are really pushing for the legalization of cannabis. Do you do you sort of see it in the? Um, do I see it happening? Uh, yes, but I think it will take a lot of hard work. In, say, in, a, in WA, we've just had our elections and it may happen that as a, a very small party that's only just started up, we're going to end up with two seats in Parliament. The, um, I come from a natural therapy perspective. My colleague is a... GP who works with a lot of patients with CBD oil. So I think that would give us a really broad scope of skills to, uh, and he's very passionate too, to talk about this. The current government is not pro-legalization at all and is very rigid about that. And they will definitely have a lot of power. The Liberals did not do well here. Uh, we've only got limited Greens uh, representation as well. And, uh, yeah, Labor is going to have the bulk of the seats. So it's going to take a while. It's going to take a lot of lobbying. And I think we need to be able to present our case very, very well, very well researched, a lot of data to back up why we want to introduce this. Uh, and specifically, I think the medical side, the economic benefits that may flow through from uh, legalization, supporting research around that, uh, also into hemp and other purposes, and how we can reduce crime possibly with that too, and really develop the industry in the southwest of WA and possibly in the Kimberleys as well. And it's a fast growing crop with it being legalised in different countries around the world and likely other countries will follow on from that as well. There's going to be a huge market there. So, yeah, so economically this may well be very viable. It may also allow for, you know, more of a cottage industry to develop around cannabis products as well. Uh, in the US you see cannabis edibles being made by small businesses chocolates and lollies in Amsterdam. I've seen similar things. I was there about two years ago and you can see in the stores there are there are lollies and lollipops and things like that that people can buy. There's, there's not necessarily a lot of uh, active ingredient in there but it's certainly a novelty tea for people to, to see those things and possibly buy them and try them. Yeah, it's, I think hard work it's not a. It's not going to be in the next couple of months, but in a one-issue party. So what that means is that all our work is going to be focused specifically on this only. There are no other issues that we're going to be dealing with initially. All our yeah, all our effort is going to be focused on this. Why do you think the government is so resistant to legalising cannabis? Uh, I think I, I think that uh, some people are very conservative. I think it's relating to that stigma as well, uh, that, you know, the, the, the stigma around uh, cannabis, it's illegal, there's a criminal element associated with it. It might just be uh, bogans using it. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think there is 
such a good case for legalizing it now i i don't understand how you can be against it basically obviously i will have to talk to a lot of politicians on why they're against it so i will be able to give you a more in-depth answer to that at some stage currently what i've noticed is that if people are more religious they are much more likely to be against it so i think that religion might be part of that conservative mindset what sort of argument are you putting forth when people ask you why should cannabis be legal? Look, the, the, the main thing that for me is to reduce suffering. So a, a lot of people still believe that cannabis is the gateway drug, that those studies were in the 80s. Then in the 90s, we got a few studies coming through showing that alcohol was the gateway drug. And when you actually look beyond that, it turns out that trauma is the gateway drug there. So, you know, people are looking to self-medicate largely. Uh, and I think if cannabis was easily available, that uh, alcohol and other illicit substances would be of less interest to those people as well. So my main point would be about reducing suffering for mental health issues and reducing pain providing a safe alternative for people that is not addictive like your opiates, for instance, doesn't cause constipation like your opiates either. And when you look at, you know, your natural um, or your, your non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, they're involved in kidney issues, paracetamol involved in liver issues, and there's none of that with cannabis. And cannabis products can be made in such a way that people don't get a high from it, but just get relief from their symptoms. And then on top of that, looking at reduced criminal activity. So by taking, putting cannabis out there as legal or decriminalized, you're taking away the power from groups of, of, of criminal people who might have networks here. In WA, as far as I know, the, the various bikey gangs are mostly involved with that, but I'm sure there are other groups with interests in that area, but I don't know enough about that. And then you are uh, looking at uh, freeing up the courts and police uh, resources as well, and then the economic benefits associated with having a WA industry that can ex export products that is not just mining. We need other products that we can export uh, and, and also make products here so we are not relying on other, uh, on import uh, to get those products. Oh, it sounds like a fairly good argument to me. So thanks very much for coming on <laughs> to the you. program today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely I've chatting been, with you. And I've been speaking with Sophia Mormont about legalised cannabis. Well, hope you've enjoyed the program and been given plenty of food for thought and do stay tuned for Swing and Sway.